Hey, Chicago! Woo! Three titles in six years. Yes, it is worth cheering for. Welcome back to another long delayed, technically delayed, and everything else delayed episode of Musings on Madison here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dave Melton, and before we go any further, I have to quickly point out that we've had a shuffling of our lineup here at Second City Hockey. Former site manager, Brandon Kane, well, he's now our former site manager, Brandon Kane, moved on from his position, and he's also moving on from this podcast. Um, He might make a cameo at some point throughout the season, but I cannot thank Brandon enough for everything he did for me professionally, for what he did for the website, what he did for the show, and we'll very much miss him. Although the number of puns that we're going to have on the show just went down by 100% because I ain't got none. Shepard, you got any? Maybe occasionally. I am not. No, no, that's all over. So the the three people that tuned in to hear Brandon's puns, and the, the one or two people that tuned in to listen to me might be disappointed for the rest of the year, but we'll, we'll do what we can, but uh, all, our hats off to Brandon for everything he did for the website. So with me tonight, I've got one of my usual line mates with me. It is the analytic styling of Second City Hockey, Shepard Price. Hi. I usually come up with quips. It's been a long time. Yeah, so you had a lot of time to think of one. Oh. Sure. <laughs> that, that much fun watching the Hawks the first week, huh? Uh, <laughs> I am I am very thankful and grateful to be covering both Chicago and Vegas this season because I can watch some good hockey. I mean, you can watch good. I can still watch good hockey. I just don't have to write about it afterwards. I've watched plenty I'm, of the Avalanche. I'm fine. Well, I'm fine talking about it afterwards. It's okay. the talking about bad hockey that right. isn't well, changing. We'll hear more from you later. I'm sure. Uh, but I also want to bring in one of the new additions we're going to have to the website. We've got three people coming in all together. One of them will be a voice that you're going to hear a lot on these airwaves. He is, you know, we'll have to get a nickname for him later because I, I don't have anything for him right now, but it is Mil Savage. How's it going? Well, it, it would have been better about a week ago before the Hawks' first game when I had an idea of how bad they were going to be, but seeing it, <laughs> seeing it for real was, was quite a thing. It's uh, it's something. We got a we got a long short schedule. I and and Mel, I think you're going to your arrival at this website comes at like this is going to be one of the worst hawk seasons probably in the last decade. I joined on like three days after they got swept by the Predators, and it's pretty much been downhill ever since. Shepard, you joined like between like 2018 or 2019, something like that, right? 2019, March 2019, yeah. Yeah, so I, I mean, I guess I got a little reprieve because I was actually able to write about Blackhawks playoff hockey at the end of the last season, although it almost feels like I should have an asterisk next to that because of what it took to get them in there. But <laughs> welcome to the worst season in Blackhawks. Uh, I won't say Blackhawks history, but we're working on it, right, Mill? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Like, back when they started getting really hot, in that run, we, I laughed thinking, oh, man, like, goodbye to the, you know, the early 2000s Hawks. And I'm kind of sitting here going, I think we're back to that. Man, like, I I wanted to – I didn't want to go that far. Like, because, like, you look up and down those rosters from the, the late 90s, early 2000s, and it's just bad. Like, like there there's so few players that are – 
like legitimate top top line uh, forwards or top line defensemen. Like the Blackhawks have Patrick Kane now, who's True. going into the like they're if the Blackhawks had Hall of Famers on those teams, it was guys that were about ten to fifteen years beyond their primes. Like uh, when Paul Coffey and Doug Gilmore and uh, Wendell Clark all made brief stints in Chicago at the end of their careers. Yeah, and there's guys who like Daze and Amani who maybe they're they're not Kane, but they they were great players, but they wasted their best years playing yeah. here. <laughs> that's that's a fair point. So so let's let's not go too far down the road. Let let's bring ourselves back into the present tense. Before we do all that, Shepherd Price is on Twitter at Shepherd Price. I am at underscore Dave Melton. Mill is at at Mill one eighty two, just like the band. And Second City Hockey is at two ND City Hockey. You can. Uh, follow all of us there. You can also visit our website, secondcityhockey.com, where we have a ton of content on game days, after game days, between game days, uh, a whole bunch of stuff for you to read, and a robust comment section for you to join as a group therapy session after every time you watch whatever the hell the Blackhawks are going to be this season. So, gentlemen, we are here. It is Wednesday afternoon. The Blackhawks have played four games. They have given up five goals in each of those games. They have not won any of them. They did get a pity point because they lost the last one in overtime. Two of them were against the defending Stanley Cup champions. Two of them were against another team that wasn't any good last season and probably won't be any good this season. So, Shepard Price, I will come to you first, as I usually do. What you thinking? I think there's a lot of questions that need to be, need to be asked and answered. Um, how, so, having watched him, for a while now, I've covered Vegas since their inception, and he's been a part of that of their team since almost its inception. Colin Delia got two games before Malcolm Subban did. For what reason? Uh, uh, again, rotational purposes. I mean, was but was it because I get the Lankinen, but Lankinen should have come in game three because it was clear like Delia nor Malcolm Subban had a great first game. Subban was rusty and played. And the three-goal period was the first for the Blackhawks without a preseason. And then he got better as the game went, al- went along. Delia got worse as the game went along and then did it twice. Uh, so that's my first issue. Second, the points leader on this team is Duncan Keith. And that's not something I would have thought I was going to be able to say at any point <laughs> this season. Well, give it time. I know, but <laughs> he's got four points to everybody else's, like, three at most. Wow, um, which is wild. So, so that Duncan Keith Norris Trophy candidacy is alive and well. Is that what you're telling me? Maybe, <laughs> if he's if he's the only good player on this team, and it's he seems fine with Murphy. I mean, he's still getting beat regularly, but yeah, that, that, that's just he was he was standing right next to Vitrano when he had that three on three yes. that won the game. So yes, he is. That's a symptom I think of I also him being feel 38 like there, years old. There's a few times where Keith's gone to that crossover from when he crosses over to skate. Uh, to turn and skate backwards facing his goal. Sometimes that crossover looks a little slower than he used to. I don't know oh, if that's yeah. an age thing or a rust it's thing. It's an age thing. But just that it's not quite as smooth and fluid as like that was a one always one of Keith's strongest attributes was speed and agility. Like he could just I yeah, yeah he was everywhere on the ice and, and again probably just an age thing because he is thirty seven years old and happens to the best of us but sorry go on Shepard I'm sure I'm, I'm sure you've got more because I've watched this team too we've all got objections but I think there is signs of life there are occasional mistakes but there are signs of life from the Blackhawks young players and there need and that's who needs to be signs of life especially without Kirby Doc this season um Philip Kurashev is nothing but impressive Dominique Kubalik when he gets time on ice is fantastic uh Dylan Strom looks good between those two 
uh, wingers, and then mm-hmm. Alex Abrincat's back, I think, yeah. um, from uh, shooting percentage hell. And Ian Mitchell looks really good. And then Adam Boquist, after a, a bad performance in game one against the Panthers, looked really good in game two, even though he played the fewest minutes on the blue line. Well, before you take all the talking points, we're going to throw it over to Mill and let him uh, air out his grievances or post his optimism. Whatever you got, Mill. Whatever you want to go. Floor is yours. You know, I do want to preface this with I understand they didn't really have much of a camp or anything like that. And it's a weird year because of COVID and the baseball series scheduling. I, I get all that. But they have looked so unorganized, just like a total lack of fundamental structure. And don't get me wrong, the goalies have struggled, but the this, this defense, it just looks like they, they, they don't look like pros out there. They look like they have no clue where anybody needs to be. It, it's, kind of, it's hard to watch, and it's especially hard to watch because they spend so much time in their own end, you know? Mm-hmm. So that, to me, it's like we need to get some fundamental structure. I, I think the young guys need a little bit more time on ice. I think they've been sitting a little bit more than I'd like. Because, they're, you know, this is the year to get the mistakes out of the way. But, you know, a lot of things are leading to that five goals against the – you know, that – I mean, it's been five goals even in every game for that average, too. It's disgusting. But uh, just, just things like, you know, the goalies are having their struggles, but they're taking dumb penalties. The, the penalty kill is not great. Um, they're struggling in the dot. Now, obviously, Taves and Doc being out, you know, doesn't help. But, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's hard to watch right now. It, it, it is hard to watch. Like, I, the, like one of the things I said at the top about, we all knew that it was going to be bad, but it's worse. Like, the, the, the games against Tampa were painful to get through, and we expected them to be painful to get through. And so that, like that, I, I can tolerate those games being bad just because, you know, that's, that's what we're all expecting because we knew Tampa's the defending cups, the defending Stanley Cup champions, the Blackhawks are very much not. So those were expected to be landslide wins. Um, I, you know, I, I thought maybe the Hawks could have one game that was a little bit closer. Like the second game was better. Uh, I think it was, I think it was four to two, and then they added an empty netter and they made it five to two, right? Or they just added a late goal. It is a late goal, I think. Yeah, okay. They, they kind of Tampa kind of played with their food in that yeah, game. Yeah, I, it it was it wasn't convinced that Tampa was like Tampa was kind of in cruise control after they got the one or two goal lead. Kind of looked like the opposite of the way Hawks teams used to look in 2013 and 15 when they would get the lead and just kind of like, all right, we'll, we'll ride this, the rest of this game out. But the, the first Florida game was really disturbing for me just because like you look, look at the lineup that Florida has, and you look at the lineup that Chicago has kind of mentions what I was talking about at the top that, you know, Patrick Kane's still here to It's a 40 goal scorer. Kubelik scored 30, you know, Duncan keeps going in the hall of fame. He's not what he used to be, but he's still, a pretty good player. Connor Murphy's still pretty good. So there's, there was an, I feel like there was enough talent on the Blackhawks roster that they should not be getting waxed by the Florida fricking Panthers. And they did. And I don't know how much of that is like, I don't know how much of this would be fixed just by a better goaltending performance, because as you guys both said, the goaltending has not been good. Like Delia and Subban, I don't think either one of them did anything that like they each gave up a goal that made you roll your eyes and, it was comically bad. Kevin Lankinen actually looked pretty good. And we're going to talk more about goalies down the road. I'm I'm sure this evening, but I, I guess my, my concern is I don't know if just bringing in a better goaltender is going to, or having a better goaltender is just going to make everything better. And I feel like this team 
is already regressed from last season and not just because the goaltenders are bad. I think kind of what you were talking about, Mill, like the defensive end zone coverage is still a nightmare. Like there's still too many guys wide open at or near the net that are getting easy tapping goals or easy, you know, how many breakaways are they going to give up this season? Are they going to average four every night? So, sorry, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. You know, it's like you brought up the the roster comparison with Florida. And going back to last year, the Hawks roster, yeah, it's not great. But there's a lot of teams that, you know, have a weakened roster, especially on defense. I just think the coaching isn't there. Um, You know, Quenville used to play chess out there and he'd shelter guys. And, you know, it was all about usage. And this just doesn't look like anybody's being used properly. Yeah, I (laughs) – I, and and Shep, the one thing that Shepard said at the start about having a lot of questions, I think my biggest question is still the coach. And yep. I'm not getting any good answers so far. Like, like uh, Shepard had an article that was at our website uh, I, or Monday or Tuesday, I forget, but it was all about Kubelik not getting the ice time that he should be. And even after they corrected whatever mishaps were going with the score sheets down in Florida, they fixed them and they still don't look all that good. Like, Dominic Kubelik should be in the top two or three forwards for ice time every night totally period like he's he's a 30 goal scorer in one season like put him out there and it's the same thing that they they did to him last season and as you re, you uh realize as you read Shepard's article like once they put him on the top line with players of his equal that's when he went off and became the 30 goal scorer we all enjoyed watching last season and for god's sakes put him on the power play like he had two power play goals he had one one goal and, or two goals, and one, I think, was on the power play last night, I believe. Both were, both were power play goals. They were both power play goals. Okay, I stand corrected. But, uh, Which is huge for them. Yeah, yeah. the power play – yeah, there you go, guys. We all wanted a good power play. How, how's that working for you? <laughs> that's fine. Five goals in four games is the only thing that's watchable on this team. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's, that's quite the thing that the, uh, the power play is so far the most – visually aesthetically pleasing thing that the Blackhawks have right now. One of you guys mentioned the penalty kill, and I was pulling this up while you were talking about it because I wanted to, to touch on this really quick. What of the – like the Blackhawks penalty kill last year, I can't remember how good they were. Well, maybe I can pull this up as I'm talking here. The, the main reason that penalty kill was so good last year was that Robin Leonard and Corey Crawford had incredible save percentages while shorthanded. Like I'm, I'm looking at – all the like uh, shot attempts per 60, shots on goal per 60. I'm looking at all these rates. The Blackhawks are mostly kind of middle of the pack. So if you go to this season's numbers, and these are all at Natural Stat Trick, which is a great website, and I will advocate for its use at all times at any point for anybody that wants good hockey information. But the Blackhawks at shots attempts per 60 are seventh lowest in the league. If you go to the shots against per 60, they are 11th lowest in the league. So they're not – so far, again, four games, small sample size, yada, yada, yada. Their penalty kill is not giving up a ton of shots or a ton of chances, but they're giving up a ton of goals. Now, is that just because they're giving up high-quality chances and high-quality shots, or is the goaltending making that much of a difference on the penalty kill? Shepard, do you have any thoughts on this? I mean, the problem is last year's defense was as bad, if not – maybe a little bit better, but I, I like the talent on this year's blue line better because I think oh absolutely Ian Mitchell should be better than Slater Cuckoo and Zadarov should probably be better than Olimata. Mm-hmm. I don't know in, if uh, in reality they are, but they should be. Um, and 
yeah, it's some some of it is the is the goaltending because the goaltending has just straight up not been nearly the best battery in hockey, which is what Leonard, Leonard Crawford might have been at the start of last year. But yeah, I don't know if he ended the season that way, but I think at the trade deadline, Leonard was the number one goaltender in terms of penalty kill save percentage, which was I believe he still finished high. Yeah, he, he was like two or three by the end. Yeah, oh so, yeah, he was, yeah. he was good. That's the problem is that the Blackhawks don't have. Subban at his best is still not Leonard on the penalty kill. Well, I mean, no one, none of the goalies that the Hawks have are going to be that good now. No, no. Yeah. So what? Well, so, go ahead, Mill. Sorry. I, I was just going to say something else too, because that's the the goalies is the main point. But you know, not having Taves and, and Sod out there on the penalty kill, the the four checks look so like Taves is going to force you to make a move and maybe force you into a, a poor shot attempt. So you're going to give up shots, but they're they're not usually going to be on the mark. You know, you have Shaw out there on the penalty kill. Like, it's not, not good. We're going to call him Marky Mark for the rest of the season because one of our – I think it was – his name, username is Deadstick on our – the Second City Hockey comment section. Refer to them as Marky Mark, and I thought that was a good name. But uh, Lucas Walmark and Matthias Janmark, who I will mess up those names several times this year. But those two guys, like – I like they were brought on to be a penalty kill duo as part of their responsibilities. And I think they've been fine. Maybe I haven't looked at the individual numbers yet, but like having those guys at least kind of helps you offset the loss of Taves to injury and sod to a trade because those Taves and sod were always the first two over the boards for a penalty kill. But it's just, yeah, it's not the penalty kill as a whole just doesn't seem great either right now. So um, totally. But the power play's good. Like, that, this is bizarre Blackhawks hockey that the power play's good, but everything else sucks, which is the opposite of what they were when they were good. So, so yeah, it's very bizarre. Someone, someone made a reference to the Simpsons Monkey Paw episode, like, oh, you want a good power play? Okay. <laughs> um, oh, boy. But while we were on the topic of goaltending, I wanted to, to hammer on this a little bit because we've gotten a look at all three of the, the goalies that the Blackhawks have or that are competing for the number one spot. And it feels like this is going to be a year long thing where all three of them are just going to get rotated. And maybe if one gets hot, they get two or three starts in a row and then they get shelled. And then the next one comes in and it feels like whoever is the goalie for game five doesn't really matter as much as who's the goalie for game 56 and Shepard, you, you touched on this a little bit and I'll see if there's anything more you want to add, but out of the three games you've seen so far, like, I don't think any goalie has cemented himself as the number one goalie of the future, but is there one that you think has the lead right now? I think there's a battery. I think there's definitely a battery of the two they should be rolling with from here okay. on out. Yeah, it's well, like an, it, in my opinion, it's like and Subban the rest of the way. I, I, I don't even know if I – it feels so early just to like I, – I, I, would, I would have Lankanen in the lead right now for sure. And I'd probably have Delia in the back because he got two starts and didn't look very good and didn't – I think my issue with Delia is that he made some of the same mistakes in the second game as he did in the first game. So I, I imagine that Lankanen's going to be the guy against in the first Detroit game, and then depending on how he plays, I feel like Subban's probably next in the rotation. But uh, I, I don't know what conclusions to draw from anything that we've seen from any of those three goalies because they've looked – Let's say below average. I guess we'll call it that. They neither one of them had their best performances. No, but again, three periods in the first period of hockey, the Blackhawks have played competitively in six months. 
is a lot different than what Delia's done and what Lankanen's done. Yeah, well, I, and like Delia had a few good starts back in 2018, the season when Crawford was injured for the whole year. Like Delia had some games that were really good. Like I think one of his best performances was one where he got hurt and then Scott Foster came in and everyone forgot that Colin Dealey was really good for two and a half periods because – I was at that game. <laughs> were you really? I had no idea. I was like, who's wearing 90-something? Yeah. <laughs> I, I saw – that was when we wrote the article about Corey Crawford retiring. If you want to know what Facebook comments are like, uh, one of the first comments was that Scott Foster or Crawford was no better than Scott Foster – and I don't think he was as joking as much as he should have been. And just like, all right, I guess that's where we're at. Corey Crawford is retiring now. We can stop doing this, but no, he's Scott Foster apparently. But yeah, the, the point would be like Delia was the one that had, I don't know, like Shepard, you might be able to speak more to this as you've watched a lot more Vegas hockey than I have. I have memories of Delia being a very good goalie at times. Um, you mean Subban? Huh? You mean Subban? No, no. If we're, talk, if, we're talking I, about, if we're talking about Vegas. Well, no, what I'm saying is I have memories of Dealey being a good goalie in Chicago at times. And also have memories of him being a bad goalie in Chicago at times. And oh, I yeah. As, as Subban, I'm sure, had his moments in Vegas, right? Yeah. When, okay. Subban, when Subban has, like, very close starts to get, like, when he has – when he's fresh, Subban is a lot better goaltender than when he's rusty. Yeah, well, I – I think with the games being much more compacted this year, because it's 56 games in four months, um, I think f- that Rust will not have time to accumulate on any of the goalies. So it should be a lot more of a, like, I, I think you might get a better look. It, the goalies, this will probably be the closest that they have ever been to being the number one guy. I think Delia had a run for two weeks where he started four or five games in a row in the aforementioned 2018 season with Crawford out. But, um, uh, and then Lankanen had his moments. Like the big moments everyone talks about with Lankanen was when he was the goalie for Team Finland in the in the Worlds one year, 2018 or 2019, and he gave up like his goals against average was like one and a half for six games. And fin- I think Finland won the gold that year. So that's um, so there's that. I mean that that's what Lankanen has on his career resume. Um, Mill, what about you? What are, what are your thoughts on the three goalies so far? You know, I could sit here and give you guys thoughts on, like, Subban and uh, and all these guys, you know, over what I've seen. Because I, I watch the league. I've watched him play in Vegas. I was, I've watched Delia a bunch, even in person. But to me, it, I think if the Hawks think Lankanen is the guy, or, or one of the other two, but they really should have looked to sign maybe, like, a more veteran guy to have as a backup or split starts. And I think the, the, any of these guys could maybe learn from having a veteran presence around. It seems kind of like a weird rotation to me, you know? Yeah, that's that's something I think I want to keep an eye on in about two weeks because the AHL season is going to start February 5th, uh, or at least it's supposed to, and Rockford's going to be in the league. Like only two or three of the teams opted out. Rockford was not one of them, so they are going to play. So – if we get to a point like right now, there's no reason to do anything but rotate those three guys because, you know, they got nowhere else to go. But if the AHL season starts, you have a spot in, in Rockford. Now, like Matt Tompkins is down there. Uh, Kale Morris is down there. And they have another guy whose name escapes me that was like a Division three stud. But you could send any of those three down there. They'd immediately probably – they likely be the number one goalie for Rockford and get a lot more playing time than they would in Chicago. So my thought was that maybe sometime in the next two weeks, you see the Blackhawks sign a veteran goalie 
to because you have to have three players, you have to have three goalies on your three goalies total between your active roster and your taxi squad. So they, they have to have a third guy. So if you send one down to the HL, you need somebody else. I don't think they're calling up Matt Tompkins this season. So maybe you sign that veteran guy that you were talking about, Mill, and then you have that veteran presence around. And then you have one guy playing games down at Rockford, the other two rotating at the NHL level. And then the third guy is there to play as needed, I guess. And, and I think that might just be a little helpful. I mean, don't get me wrong. Getting any veteran is not going to be like playing behind a Corey Crawford or no. a Marc-Andre Fleury. Those are amazing goalies to learn from. But it's just one of those things where it feels very odd because as as much as I have said Keith kind of looks like he doesn't care, it's great to have a Duncan Keith out there to learn from. Yeah. You know, or and, Patrick Kane or Jonathan Taves. The goalie group doesn't really have that right now. Yeah. And, I, you know, I like they have a coach, and, and I, it's one of the Wade brothers, Jimmy or Stefan. I can't remember which one, which is it's good Jimmy. to have. And, and they, their reputations are pretty good because they, yeah, totally. they help produce Corey Crawford and pretty good. But it's different when it's coming from a teammate than a coach, I assume. So, um, so yeah, I, that, I think that's an interesting thing to watch because I feel like that is a potential area but like I'm, I'm looking at uh cap friendly's list of like goalies that are still out there uh, i see jimmy howard i see mike condon and then i see a bunch of guys that uh oh garrett sparks is still out there apparently and i think he's probably more of an ahl goalie like rich and then richard bachman and the other three guys i don't even know who they are so i'm not going to use their names but um so yeah like it's pretty slim pickings out there i i don't know I mean, I don't know. What, what's Scott Darling up to these days? Maybe they'll bring him in. I, who knows? I, oh, he just got caught from his Florida PTO. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, he, so he has, what you're saying is he's available. Um, so former, I guess. A former Blackhawks player is available? Facebook oh. Hawks fans are going to lose it if they sign him. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so moving on from the goaltending position, though, and, and uh, each one of you guys touched on this a little bit, but any, who, what are some of the players that you've watched that have stood out for you, either in a positive or negative fashion? I mean, I could sit here and talk a lot about Philip Kershaw because I'm getting damn excited about him. Uh, and Ian Mitchell is another one. But and, any guys particular that have stood out for you guys through the first four games? I mean, yeah, it's Kershaw, uh, it's, Kuba, it's Kubalik, it's, uh, it's the young guys that like need to look good that have um in terms of veterans the brink again it's the brink hat coming back and looking good but i can't really say that there, anybody on the bottom six is that impressive which is a little bit yeah like upsetting. They, i feel like they've been kind of hyping up that fourth line of highmore camp and carpenter i mean they look good in the scrimmage and they've had their moments in the regular season but like I, I, I have a hard time getting too excited about a fourth line being really good because yes. it's a yeah. fourth line. Right. Like, like, I mean, cool. Like, like I, I guess the thought here is that the guys who are on your fourth line now when you're in last place in the entire league, there's a pretty good chance that if the Blackhawks get good again, that fourth line will not be constructed as it is presently constructed. David Camp might be here. I could see that. And, and maybe Carpenter too, but – Fourth line guys on really bad teams tend to not be around for so long. 
I guess. Yeah, this isn't this isn't 2015 where we're saying, oh, Desjardins, Smith, and Shaw, great fourth line to roll out as a checking line. It's like, no, like that doesn't matter, right? Yeah, now. it's it's not like yeah, it's it's not the guys that got put on the fourth line because the top three were so loaded. It's those guys got put together because they were really good in the last at the end of the last season, and like that was a pretty obvious like, well, maybe these guys will do something. So here, you guys go play. I'm I'm yeah. totally with you guys on Kurashev and Kupalik and just the young guys in general. But I'm hoping that since they're playing so well, they'll stop triple shifting Kane and let those guys have that time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, that needs to absolutely happen. Yeah, uh, I, Kane Kane continues to be a defensive liability and that, that so he needs to like that needs to go to people who can what not care about the double shift Kane it'd be because he had Bolig in the lineup and he's, you know, a pylon <laughs> against a good playoff team. But like this is like we're playing Florida in game three or four, and and Kane's out there. Like, come on, playing like, defensive minutes. Yeah. Well, I, I, I will say, yeah. uh, Kane's average ice time this season is at nineteen fifty three. Again, four game small sample size. Yeah, all that. Uh, last season he was at twenty one twenty. So it has come down slightly. But if you look at the Blackhawks' top average ice time leaders right now, it is Connor Murphy and Duncan Keith, which is expected. And then Calvin DeHaan and Nikita Zadorov, fine. And then Patrick Kane. So, like, yeah. I, I don't mind that. Like, I understand Patrick Kane's going to play a lot because he's a really good hockey player and you want to win games. I totally get that. But if you go down, like, and then, so this is in order top to bottom after Kane. DeBrinket, Strom, Janmark, Shaw, Lucas Walmark. So I'm, I'm down at what? This is the 11th skater is Adam Boquist. And then Ian Mitchell. And then That's Kuhn, brutal. And then Suter. And then Kershev's two spots down below that. So if you want to focus on the younger players, which is what they said this season was about, put them on the damn ice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like I, I have no problem with Ian Mitchell skating. Like Zadorov's at 2019 per game. Mitchell's at 1503. I have no problem switching those numbers. And both was I, I, last year. Like it's not like Mitchell who hasn't played. Yeah. Right. And the problem, the, pro- the problem, though, is not Zadorov, who's also 25 and somewhat counts as young. It's Calvin DeHaan, who's almost 30, yeah. who needs to be losing his minutes. That's where my biggest gripe with Colleton is right now, going back to the coach, is ice time deployment is questionable. Oh, yeah. Like, the Kuba League is a big one, and but, like, again, we know you want to win, but if you're going to – if you're go- like, there should be some organizational synergy. Sounds very corporate, but – there should be some sort of like message between from the front office down to the coaching staff, like, "Hey, play the young guys." Like the game, uh, I, I I tweeted it at the end, like the last two or three minutes of the game uh, against Florida went on Tuesday night. You had a tie game with like three or four minutes left. Like that had a perfect time to put Mitchell on the ice for a shift, and I think Mitchell did get a shift, but put Bolkus out there for a shift. Put uh, you know, put Suter out there for a shift, put Kershaw, like give these guys experience in crucial game moments. They're not going to learn a damn thing when Tampa's up by four with 10 minutes to go in the second period. That That's not where you develop players. You develop players with game on the line in the final minutes of a regular season game. Even if you're 35 games into the season and you've only won four of them, at least the game's competitive. You know the other team's trying to win. You know, you know everyone's playing at 100%, trying to, to get two points. That's when you want your young guys playing. So hopefully there's more opportunities like that in the future because as I that was my, my main thought for the whole season was yeah, they're gonna lose a lot, but if they can at least keep games competitive, then you can get some development out of these young guys. And uh, 
but you're not going to get much development if you get your ass kicked by four goals every night. So, and um, I think the trend with like some of the time on ice stuff too is like a guy like Boquist, who's your only guy who can really walk the blue line and, and kind of quarterback a power play, he'll make one kind of bad mistake and sit the rest of the game. And then Zadorov's, you know, turning it over in his own end all night and plays 20 some odd minutes, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like that's not, I mean, that's not how you develop a guy. Sorry for the rant, but that was driving me crazy. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't. I, I, the Boquist, the 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 talk around Boquist, like, it gets eerily. Some sometimes it feels like it's the way they talked about Teravine, and and then a year later he was traded. Like, just unnecessary levels of criticism when things aren't necessarily his fault. And I go back to the goal that ended the Tampa game when. Uh, Boquist jumped into the play as you want your offensive defenseman to do in the third period of a game when your team is trailing. He jumps into the play. Debrinket covers for him. The pass is off the mark. Tampa gets a break the other way. Boquist busts his ass to get back and actually like was in the defensive picture when it all happened. And then the pass goes through his skates, which kind of sucks, but it goes to the fourth guy. Bokus was the third guy back. He covered the third guy who had the puck. It goes back. The, they make a pass to the fourth guy who scores the goal that ices the game. And that fourth guy was not covered by anybody. And if you go back a little, like, five or ten seconds before that, Patrick Kane had a chance to break up the whole rush if he would have just moved his feet a little bit more instead of just kind of coasting and waving his stick at it. But on the broadcast, they go, Bokus got caught up in the play. Yeah, it's – it, you're totally like that's that's a great point and you're totally right about like the, this feeling like the Tara Vinen thing and it's funny to me because Duncan Keith didn't really have that spectacular of a sophomore season but nobody wants to bring that up <laughs> oh yeah yeah like he he also got a similar trial by fire so maybe that's one thing he's imparting on the young guys like hey wait like no one remembers back in like 07 when we also lost 50 games but you know, you know I, he, he was playing been, for Trajani and Savard. Like he's been down this road before, just no one remembers watching it. Um, yeah, like it's a little premature on the the Boquist thing. Like I don't want to make it sound like they're going to be trading him in the off season, but no, it's just it's it's it it has a little similarity to it. So we'll we'll keep an eye on it because I I I think Shepard, you said like he's been he's been better. He hasn't had great games, but. No. Been better. I just I want to see him do something cool on offense. Like that's he's got three points. Huh. He's got three points already. No, I, I, I know, but, like, he should – like, the guy he, – he should have, like, some sort of really cool highlight reel thing, like, at some point. Like, that's, he's a number eight overall pick. He, sh- he should do something that makes you jump off the couch and go, holy shit, that was cool. So, so Kihar, you had one the other night in the Buffalo-Philly game. Go to hell. <laughs> oh, oh. Here, here speaking, we go. Speaking, speaking of, uh, when Kevin Lankinen did have that great Worlds run, guess who one of his defensemen was? Yoko, I heard you – He's yep. Not, he's he, oh, okay. Yeah, I guess he was finished. I don't even remember. Yep. That's beautiful. All right. Well, that's enough. Henry O'Gar, you talk. I'm already depressed enough. I've had to watch the Hawks four times. Thanks, guys. All right. Well, I tell you what, we're gonna do. We're gonna take a little break and then come back on the other side of this timeout, and we will look ahead to the upcoming two games against the Detroit Red Wings, which should be something. And we'll talk about what that something is on the other side of this break. Welcome back to Musings on Madison here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. And as we promised before the break, wanted to talk about the two Blackhawks games that are coming up this weekend against everybody's favorite rivalry, the Detroit Red Wings. And it's kind of, 
if the circumstances were different, I'd be really excited about the Blackhawks and Red Wings being in a division again. And maybe Seattle joining in the NHL next year will somehow lead to an, a realignment that'll keep the Blackhawks and the Red Wings together because it's it, like I forgot how much fun it was to hate the Red Wings and just just like the Chicago Detroit rivalry and Shepard being a Lions fan, you understand this. But like every sport, Chicago and Detroit hate each other. Like that's that's how this works. The Bears and the Lions, the Blackhawks and the Red Wings, the Sox and the Tigers, the Bulls and the Pistons. I'm uh, and I think the Chicago Sky and uh, Detroit Shock used to have something, but that team is not in Detroit anymore. So it's just a natural thing, Chicago and Detroit are rivalry. So there's something that feels right about Chicago and Detroit being in a division together again. And I look forward to yelling Detroit sucks all the time, even if it's not true because the Red Wings might be good this season. So let's start there, first of all. Uh, Shepard, I'll, I'll go to you first. Um, Detroit's looking actually halfway decent. They're 2-2 two and two through their first four games. Bobby Ryan is turning into, like, Bobby Ryan of five years ago in Detroit. So – what kind of things are you looking for, uh, looking to see, keeping an eye on as these games get started? So, first of all, define good because I don't think they're okay. one of the four teams that escaped let's, this division. Let's, so. go, let's go with mediocre, which okay. is an upgrade over historically bad like the Red Wings were last year. Yes. Um, okay. Yeah. Part of that is the fact that their offense has started to go, get going again, and Dylan Larkin has people to actually play with now uh-huh. um, who can play with him. Because he's always been talented. Dylan Larkin's always been really good. Uh, Bobby Ryan's scoring goals. Philip Zadina's making an impact. He's got two primary assists so far. Wait, wait, wait. Say that, say that name again. Philip Zadina. Okay. Because I, I thought it was, I thought it was it Zadina, Zadina for the longest time. All yeah, right. Zadina. It's one of them. Yeah, it's Zadina. Okay. Um, and he's, he's, he's having a pretty good rookie year. But all it's their defense and their goaltending. It's the problems the Blackhawks have that the Red Wings don't have this season. They upgraded their defense. Um Philip Ronick and Patrick Nemeth are playing well, but they got Troy Stetcher from uh, Vancouver, who's really good. And the their biggest problem, which was Danny DeKaiser being their best defenseman, that's no longer the case. He might be their sixth best defenseman at this point. Yeah, he's and, way down on the ice time yeah. right now. Yeah, and they still have more coming because Maurice more Sider still hasn't come up. Right. Um, and he might make an impact at some point. But it's Thomas Grice coming from the Islander from the Islanders making an, an impact and then uh, them having like actually decent a decent battery. Yeah, and Jonathan That's, Bernier has their two wins with uh, he's got two wins, goals against average at an even two with a point nine two nine two seven save percentage, which yeah. is miles ahead of what they were doing last season. With exactly when they had the uh, it was mainly Bernier and Howard. Howard's number or excuse me, Bernier's numbers were a little bit better this season than they were last season. Howard was a nightmare. He was two and 23 last season. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like, I, I spent a lot of last season basking in this, like the ultimate showing fraud of watching Detroit be bad. And I feel like that karmic justice is coming back in a big way for me right now. Totally. <laughs> um, this team might be worse than that one. And that well, team lost yeah. 49 and, games. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, that Detroit team sucked out loud last year. I will say in the Hawks' defense, that Detroit team had its entire roster as constructed for most of the season. I don't believe they had any massive injuries. The This Blackhawks team lost Tazen Dock before the season even started. So that's my excuse. But, yeah, it's <laughs> – 
I, I spent I spent a lot of time pointing and laughing at Detroit, and it's it's coming back to roost. Mill, what about you? What what kind of things are you watching for this uh, this upcoming dual series or whatever the hell we're calling it? Well, well, this Wings team has definitely improved from last year, but I think the scheduling really benefits them. But the two in a row because they're kind of playing this nice trap, and like you guys pointed out, the defensive core is a lot better. The goaltending's pretty good. And they basically have a bunch of bum slayers. So it's like if they're just playing that trap and, and the goaltending is good, these guys are going to get the puck and they're going to score goals. And the Hawks are going to have to be able to stop goals and score goals as, as, you know, as easy as that sounds, straightforward as it sounds. They can't really do either of those two things in proportion. And I, even if they win the first game, I don't know if they can – I think Detroit will figure it out. Yeah, I guess here's, here's the, the main thought I've had when I was thinking about this – earlier in the day I was thinking about these these two games and like must wins are, are there, there's no well all right I feel like must wins are kind of unnecessary in a season when the Blackhawks are going to lose so many games but I think just for the general well-being of the team and the fans and all the people that are ready to storm the United Center right now I think the Blackhawks need to win one of these two games. It doesn't matter which one. Uh, and it, it, the fashion in which they win doesn't really matter. But I just think just for the collective psyche of everybody in and around this organization and in the fan base, I think they need to win one of these two games. Because sure. if you start yeah. the season 0-5-1 or 0-4-2 or 0-6, whatever you want to call it, if they start the season without a regular, without a win through six – and you like they just played Florida, and it would have been just playing Florida and Detroit, who were supposed to be the two other teams, roughly as bad as you were. We're gonna have some problems. <laughs> like, oh the yeah, Hawks, the Hawks already have problems. We're gonna have more problems. Pack it up, pack it up if they can't get a win against the, and, the, the Detroit. And you know what? Being a Hawks fan doesn't matter if you're really you know been a Hawks fan a long time, short time, how old you are. It's in your blood to hate Detroit. And I know every time they play each other, it comes back to me. Um, if they get their first win against Detroit, though, that'll be fun. I'm going to pop a bottle of champagne that's sitting in front of me waiting for their first win. I'm not joking. And, uh, you know, it, it'll be encouraging for those young guys to get a big win like that, too. I think it might do something for them. But if they start in a really big losing streak and you just extended your coach two years, that's going to yeah. be interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, a very good point. Like, you extend your coach before season when I think a lot of people – I was not ready to fire Colleton, but I was – I definitely had question marks about him, and I would not have been on the extend him. I don't think anybody was in that camp, and they gave no. him the contract extension anyway. And if you sign a guy to a contract extension, and he turns around and they lose their first six games, oh, like, it, it might be worse than six is the problem here. Well, yeah, yeah I'm thinking like nine, ten could be potentially a thing. That's that's why I say I think the Hawks need to win one of these two games just to like. We need like the roller coaster is absolutely spiraling downhill right now. We need it to level off because we like we weren't expecting it to drop this far. So there, there's got to be some leveling off here at some point because then Nashville they have to go to Nashville for two and mm-hmm. Nashville probably a playoff team. Uh, Columbus hasn't looked great this year, but they're the next opponent on the schedule. And well, I, I guess the thing is. Like, the two teams that you were supposed to be competitive with were Florida and Detroit. And if you lose all four games of those two teams, you are pretty much fucked. Well, and, oh, yeah. And the thing with 
the thing with Nashville and Columbus too is even if they're not that great, they both have legitimate coaches who can they can out coach the Hawks. Yeah, they yeah, have, easily. Yeah, they have legitimate coaches, and I'm not Nashville's situation is more up in the air. But Columbus has legitimate goaltending that the Blackhawks mm-hmm. probably don't right now. So trade for Elvis. <laughs> Jesus, that was actually no. that was actually I I that was the one thing I was trying to draw from at the start of the season was. Uh, that Columbus last season entered it with two guys that hadn't really played in the NHL and nobody knew if they were really any good, and they both turned out to be awesome. So I was like, well, maybe the Blackhawks will just back into two really good goalies like Columbus did. If we could only be so lucky. Yeah. I mean, hey, I I don't want to banish all three of them to the AHL for the rest of their careers already, but. And to be fair, uh, Columbus saw their goaltender start out pretty rough too. Okay. They, they weren't they weren't Corpusalo we and Merzurkins now overnight. All right, All right. So we're, yeah, I'm, for sure. I'm trying not to go entirely doom and gloom on this podcast yet. We might have time to do that later in the season. It's only January. We got four more months of this. Let's let's ease into it. So I think that you know what that might be a good note to end on. That there's there's potential that maybe the goaltending will get better. Because I don't think let's let's not give up five next game, guys. Yeah, yeah. Let's start there. Let's like the Hawks need to win one of the next two games and not give up five goals in one of them. I'd be happy with that. That like I feel like that is a very low and very attainable bar for them to clear over the next two games, and then, and I I think once you win one game, then you can start with uh, like really start getting into the nitty gritty of analyzing what's going on with the prospects. But just just win a damn game please, for the sake of all of us. So, yeah, I think that's going to do it for this here episode of Musings on Madison. Uh, thank you very much for listening to this episode. Uh, thank you to Shepard for joining us. Thank you to Mill making his podcast debut. Very good job, and we look forward to having you on for plenty more episodes throughout the course of the season. He's at Mill182. Shepard's at Shepard Price. I am at underscore Dave Melton. All of those are on Twitter. You can follow the Second City Hockey Twitter account at 2ND City Hockey. And feel free to check out secondcityhockey.com all the time. We got articles coming left and right. We got new writers joining on board. So we'll have even more stories to write about. So yeah, any, whatever level of Blackhawks information you need, we will have your dose, I guess, proper dose. Yeah. Well, that's what we'll call it. Um, So thanks again for listening to this episode for Shepard, for Mill, I'm Dave. Go Hawks.